Well, let's turn uh, then back actually to Matthew chapter 20. If you have your Bibles with you, want to follow along the scripture lesson today, it's going to come once again from Matthew chapter 20. This is where we were last week. We're going to skip a few verses. And we're going to read today from verses 29 through 34. I'd like to ask you to to do something, though, this morning before we read. If you will, certainly it's up to you to do or not, but I'd ask you to close your eyes. And I'd ask you to imagine, as your eyes are closed, living without the use of your eyes. Imagine living your whole life that way. The isolation that you would likely feel. Imagine the smiles of the loved ones that you would never see. I want you to think about the gift that God has given to us in our natural eyes, our physical eyes. A blessing that we ironically overlook perhaps every day. And I want you to just imagine that darkness and think about it. According to one study that I found, about 44 million people across the world are blind. That's a big number. 44 million people today are seeing what you see, which is nothing. It's a big number, but in reality, it's actually about a half half of 1% of the population of the world. But here in just a few moments, I'll ask you again to open your eyes as we read, but for just these last few moments here, what what if that situation were reversed? What if it wasn't one half of 1% who were blind? What if it was one half of 1% who could see? And what if that were the case throughout history? What if God had set it up such as that would be the case, it's my belief that the blind would consider those with sight crazy. You can open your eyes now as we begin to read. I I believe spiritually that's exactly the situation we're in. Most seemingly blind spiritually. And they call those with sight crazy. Jesus comes across two blind men here, according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. 
I want to speak to you today about spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. Being blind spiritually to being able to see spiritually. I know that in this example from Scripture, what we're seeing is the Lord healing physical sight, but there are a great many similarities and pictures of how he heals our spiritual blindness as well as healing these men's physical blindness. These men blind, unable to see, and yet they hear that Jesus is near. And I believe that the first step that comes along the way, the first step that is made on the road from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight is very similar to that. They can't see him. They can't see the crowds that are following him. They don't know what he looks like, but they hear something. They hear something that they understand. They hear something, though they cannot see it. They hear something and they realize that there is indeed something to see. There's something to be seen. And though they could not see it, as we've said, there was something, there was something inside of them, something inside of them that they, and of course, with, without their physical eyes, they could still hear physically. And I think spiritually, it's similar for us when God comes and speaks to us. We can't see him. We can't see what it is that we want to see spiritually, but we hear something. God works and the Spirit of God moves and the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts and we hear Him. And it gains our attention. It gains our attention because in that word, in that what we hear from that voice of the Lord is a promise that He will give us what we need. And certainly as these men looked at their needs They desired to see. Sometimes in the world that we are living in today, and very frequently it seems, people are more and more saying foolish things like there is no God. And I say foolish because that's how the scripture refers to it. It says that the fool says there is no God. And for you, you may think others, uh, you have friends or family that, that don't believe, that call themselves atheists or whatever that it might be. They say they don't, they only believe in what they see. The great irony of that is that they don't see anything because they're spiritually blind. And oftentimes it is as though men who say there is no God, if there is any kind of credibility to that statement, it's kind of silly for us to put it there because we're trusting blind men to tell us what they see. We're we're trusting blind people to tell us what they see. It's as though we're asking physically blind people to describe the trees when we ask spiritually blind people to tell us and teach us about God, whether he exists or not. But from spiritual blindness to sight is the road that these men physically anyway are going to travel. And I pray for you that you would walk the road from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight that you would know who the Lord is, that you would find him. And so they hear of Jesus. They hear that he is near. And so they come and they're sitting by the roadside. They heard that Jesus was passing by and they cried out and they said to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. 
One of the things that's going to be necessary for you, for anyone, to go from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight is to do what these men did in very much the same way when they asked the Lord for mercy. They didn't ask for justice. They didn't ask for what they deserved. And it would have probably been very easy for these men to have said that. Lord, it's not fair that we're blind and all of these other people have sight. That's not fair of you, Lord, to make it so that we cannot see and all of these others can. We might think it's unfair. These men might think it's unfair that they had this struggle and others seemingly didn't. And sometimes I think we can go to God and we can ask for justice rather than mercy. And I'll tell you, that's a very dangerous thing to do. These men had the right of it. They went to the Lord and they asked Him for mercy, not justice. They asked Him for mercy, not what they deserved. And when we go, when we search, when you search for spiritual sight, if if you want your eyes to be opened, to see the wonderful things that God has revealed to us in His Word and revealed to us that have been saved, our eyes that have been opened by the Spirit of God to see wonderful things about His love and His kindness and His mercy, His grace, His provision, His power, His wrath against sin. His character, His omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. If you want to see those things, if you want to really see them for yourself, then you're going to first have to come to the Lord and you're going to have to ask Him for mercy and ask Him for forgiveness of sin. Ask Him to bless you with His mercy and His forgiveness. Again, not his justice, and his judgment. They came asking for mercy, and I pray that you would do the same. And they came with these words, Lord, that word is a term of respect. It's, it's as though they are, they are recognizing that they are beneath him, that he is over them, that his authority is greater than theirs that he has control over whether or not he's going to do what they're going to ask him to do, that they come to him and they say, Lord, and they begin that way, and I would encourage you that don't know him to come to him that way too, with that word first on your lips, spiritually, if not physically, Lord. And to recognize and understand what that means to call him that. You are Lord. You are the one who is to be honored and respected and revered and given, be in awe of. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Not only did they come with that word Lord, but they labeled him son of David. And that points to their understanding and awareness that he was and is the Messiah. The promised one of the Old Testament. They knew who he was. They couldn't see yet. But they knew who he was. They'd heard about his healing in the past. And perhaps you've heard about others that have been healed spiritually. And now they see what you long to see, what you want to see, yet you don't see. 
come to the Lord and call him by his title there, Lord and Son of David, the Messiah who would come and be the sacrifice for sin that I needed, that you need, and that all men everywhere need. So there's a recognition of Jesus and who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. There seems to be very little doubt in their mind that he can do the miracle that they're asking him to do. They don't seem to come to him with any doubt, with any hesitation. They come to him and they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And so this is the mentality, this is the mindset of the seeker of God who longs to have spiritual sight where they first and where they now don't have it. They come to him and they've heard of him. They know enough about him. They know he can provide the needs that they have. And they come to him with this insistence and with this right mentality, this right mind and heart and attitude. And we would think that the crowd around and the disciples, we would think that they would be ushering them along and saying, Lord, listen and hear the prayer of these men. But that's not what happens. It's not what happens at all. It says in verse 31, the crowd rebuked them. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Why would they do that? Why would the crowd do such a thing? And who was this crowd? Who were the people in the midst of the crowd? Because these are the people, by the way, for those that might be desiring to come from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight, I will tell you today, there will be people in your life that will do the same to you. They'll tell you to be silent, to be quiet, to never mind it. Who are these people? Well, no doubt in the crowd, and it doesn't identify, and it doesn't actually split or make any distinction among them. It says the crowd, all of them then, we seem to to conclude, or at least the vast majority of them, seem to be those who rebuked these blind men and said to just be silent. Who were these people and why did they say such a thing? Well, we know that in some, uh, with, with some of them, they were followers of Jesus. Certainly the twelve and those who were following him in his earthly ministry. People who believed in him, who were followers of him. These men and women who believed in Christ, and yet they seemed to be, along with the rest in the crowd, telling him and telling them, these blind men, to be silent. But no doubt there were also enemies in the crowd. In Matthew, we read of Matthew's very honest. All the disciples, of course, all the gospel writers were, but he does not hide the reality and the truth of the fact that multiple times during the Lord's ministry, the disciples told people to just be silent and to not bother the Lord when it was the Lord's will that they come to him. There was a Canaanite woman who came one time came to him and the disciples said, Lord, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Would you just send her away? Later, children would come to Jesus and Matthew records how the disciples said, send those children away. Don't bother the master. And Jesus said, let the children come for of such is the kingdom of heaven. But here in the midst of this situation, this scene where these men desiring to have their sight restored call out to Jesus and Jesus' very own followers 
seemingly part of this crowd that rebuked them and said, just be silent. Maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe they didn't want to be bothered. Maybe it was going to take too much time. Maybe they were worried about the fact that they were headed to Jerusalem. These these blind men, no doubt beggars as well, as another place in Scripture refers to them. These men that the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus themselves said to just don't bother to be silent, don't bother him, we're on our way to Jerusalem. I hope and pray that that's never the description of those of us who follow the Lord today. That we are not those in this crowd telling people who are seeking the Lord to just be silent, but that we would encourage them and point them and bring them as close as we can bring them to Christ so that their sight can be restored. But not only were there followers in this crowd, of course, no doubt, almost just nearly doubtless, there were enemies of Christ as well. Why would they tell these blind men to be silent? I think it might have something to do with the fact that they were mocking him. They didn't believe him. Would you believe him? And so they would tell you not to listen to this Jesus. Those of you searching for spiritual vision, spiritual sight, there's going to be a world out there today that will tell you to just be silent, to just move along. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to concern yourself about. Jesus isn't real anyway. And they're going to tell you to go along your way. And they're going to all the while be blind, leading you as blind men. They're going to say, don't bother with this Jesus. He's not real. He can't do what he claims to do. John chapter 7, verses 45 through 48, you remember that scene when the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, had sent officers to go arrest Jesus. And so they went to arrest him, and Jesus was teaching, and they didn't arrest him. They went back to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees said, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And they said that the officers said to the Pharisees, nobody ever spoke like this man. There's something about him. And the Pharisees then in mock and ridicule said, do you believe as well? And they said, have any of the Pharisees, have we believed in him? And there'll be a world of people out there today that will look at you if you're seeking spiritual sight, seeking to see Jesus, seeking to come to know him. There's going to be a lot of people out there that will mock and ridicule you while you seek him, telling you to just move along. Again, nothing to see here. I beg you not to listen to your fellow blind men and women, but seek the Lord. Seek vision. Seek Him. Ask Him to give you the spiritual sight that you desire. Be as these blind men here that we've read about. They cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. They didn't listen to those around them who would discourage them. They went to Christ. I hope and I pray for you that that is what you do as well. Dismissing and closing your ears to those who would discourage you. Even if it's the followers of Christ somehow. 
Because sometimes, sadly, that happens. That you would close your ears to those discouragements and you would take a straight line to Christ and you would dismiss the discouragement and you would cry out all the more, Lord, I want to see. I dismiss all this discouragement. I know there's people themselves that are blind that are telling me there's nothing to see. And I look at them and I ask them, how can you know you are blind as well? And those who can see, who at times uh, discourage, I, I ignore all of that. Son of David, Lord, you are the one that I am crying out to. Your followers can't heal my sight. Your enemies can't prevent you from healing my sight. And so I come to you and I ask you today to give us sight. Have mercy on us. We don't deserve it, but we're asking for it because we've heard that you are compassionate and that you love even the publicans. You're not like the Pharisees who raise their nose and look down their nose at those who they consider beneath themselves. You're not like that Pharisee who prays and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I've heard about you, son of David. And they cry out all the more as a result of it. Have mercy on us. Even though the crowd attempted to discourage followers and enemies alike, these men continued to seek and continued to cry out that the Lord would give them their sight. And Jesus stopped. Verse 32. Jesus stopped. When you cry out to Jesus and you sense him stopping and listening, you're on to something. And I pray that you continue to press forward towards him. When you feel as though and you know in your heart that you have his attention and that he has yours. Then you're in a moment like verse 32, Jesus stopping. He called them. And listen to what Jesus asks. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who knows how many hairs are on your head and the seven billion other heads on the planet. The one who knows how the heart keeps beating, how these eyes work in the first place, as incredibly marvelous as it is. This one who knows everything. He asks them a question. What do you want me to do for you? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus didn't know? Can you imagine people standing on the, in the crowd hearing Jesus say such a thing? Lord, what do you mean? What do they want you to do? It's obvious. Why did Jesus ask such an obvious question? Why does he ask you and me at times such an obvious question? Why did Jesus ask these men, what do you want me to do for you? Because he wants these blind men and he wants everybody around, perhaps even, to answer the specific question. What do you want? And when you go from being spiritually blind to spiritual sight, there will be a moment when you're going to have to answer a very specific question from Jesus. What do you want? And to answer that question correctly, 
you'll have to ask for forgiveness. Lord, I want forgiveness because I see that I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask you to to help me to place my faith and trust in you because you are my redeemer. Lord, I ask these things and Jesus made no assumptions. He does not allow for generalities. He does not allow for assumptions on anybody's part. He wants everybody to state specifically what it is they want. And I am afraid to say that many times, too many times when we get to that question, people don't answer it correctly. What do you want me to do for you? Too many people say, Lord, I just I want you to make my marriage wonderful and I want you to make my life wonderful. I want you to make my job wonderful. I want you to make my bank account big and fat and plentiful. I want you to make my house beautiful. I want you to make my kids successful. I want you to make all the things about this life just wonderful. That's the wrong answer to the question. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. He's asking you today. I believe saved and lost. Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? He knows the answer. But he's not going to let you or me or anyone make any assumptions. Those of you who are parents, you know what this is like when your kid wants something and you know it's important that they ask specifically for it and yet they just want to kind of go Uh, graze over it and be very generic. Well, I didn't do very well on a test today. At certain ages, it's appropriate to go, well, what does not very well mean? Does that mean you got a B and you were hoping for an A or does that mean you got a D? Did you fail it? You need to be specific. Too much of the time, the, the, the wrestling between us and God and the reason that many fail to, be, to go to spiritual sight is they're not willing to be specific and look at themselves and see themselves for what they really are lost and undone without God. But Jesus stops and asks, and he stopped by the way, and he didn't have to. When he stopped, he didn't have to. But he did. He had a lot of things on his mind. Always many things on his mind, many burdens on his heart. But here too, insignificant in the eyes of the world, blind beggars, and he stops. And he asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? And their answer, they wanted to see, of course. They said to him, verse 33, Lord, let our eyes be opened I pray that you would go to the Lord and that your prayer and your answer to him when he asks what do you want me to do for you that you would say something similar Lord I want to see spiritually I know there's more to the world and to life than what I can see with my eyes there's a witness in me, Lord, that, that just chafes against this idea so prevalent in our day that there is no such thing as a spiritual realm and a spiritual world. There's something in me that knows that it is there, but I can't see it. And I ask you to open my eyes so that I can. 
And in verse 34, Jesus in pity touched their eyes. See, of course, Jesus' compassion and his love. This is the only way anyone ever sees spiritually is when Jesus in his compassion heals and forgives and saves. As he stops and he asks the question, what do you want me to do? As it is answered correctly, appropriately by us, and he heals us and he gives us spiritual sight, it is the only way that ever happens, and it is an experience. We go from, as the song says, lost to found, blind to sight, dead to alive. This is something that happens And spiritually, they go from being blind to being able to see. I want to say a few more words about this before we close today. That really was what what the Lord triggered in my heart as I read this passage. Gave me some assurance that this is where he would have us to go today. What did they use that that newfound sight for? Followed him. They couldn't before because they couldn't see him. All they could do was follow the noise of the crowd. There's a lot of people today who are hanging around Christianity and all they're doing is following the noise of the crowd. They're not following Jesus because they can't see him. What did they do? They followed him. When we are given spiritual sight, We are given a joy. Remember that moment? The joy, the peace, the release, the burden that's taken, the peace that's found, and it's joyful. I can see. I can see. But I want you to understand as well that that newfound sight not only comes with blessings, it comes with obligations. Because now you can see. Where did these blind men go with their new sight? They followed Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 20. Where did Jesus go relatively quickly right after this? Straight to the cross. That's where these blind men went if they followed Jesus and it says they did. That's what their sight brought them to. They could now see him, but not only could they see him and the joy that that brought and the wonder and the amazement, my Lord and my King, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend, my my God, the one who gave me life, who just healed me and gave me peace. Now I can see him. I can feel him. I can sense him. My spiritual eyes have been opened. Not only can I see him and that is wonderful, but now all of a sudden I can see this world for the way that it is and that can bring heartache and sacrifice and suffering because now not only could they see him on this day they could see him as he was beaten and nailed to a cross there is a joy in having our spiritual eyes opened there is an obligation of having our spiritual eyes opened. These men followed Jesus and they followed him straight to the cross. 
I asked you in the beginning to close your eyes, and as I thought about that and felt like that was maybe something that would be helpful for us, I thought, you know, there's a reason that most of the time when we pray, there's a reason we close our, our natural eyes, our physical eyes. I, I think that reason is so that we, we close our eyes off from this world so that we might be better able to see spiritually what's really happening and going on. It's difficult to have your, your, your eyes set on the world and your eyes set on spiritual things at the same time. And so maybe I would ask you at some point today or tomorrow again to close your eyes. If you have a moment. And think. Some maybe have lived their whole life spiritually blind and in the dark. and want to encourage you and tell you you don't have to. You don't have to. Jesus is near if you'll call out to him. Some of you, though, have had your spiritual eyes opened and you remember the joy of it, but, but maybe the obligations of that life have tempted you to close them. I know that happens frequently in the world. People who have seen the Lord, they know him, they're his. But living in this life, living this world, the obligations that come with being a follower of Christ can cause you, though you have new sight, though you have been caused and to know him and have spiritual eyes, you close them. You close your eyes and you're just, it's as though you've closed your physical eyes and, and you're pretending to be spiritually blind. I'd ask you to open them. Every day. In prayer. The reading of God's word. Fellowship with his people. Time alone with him. Time together with his children. Open them. Isaiah 42, 16. This is what God says he will do. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. If you're spiritually blind and you don't know him, I, I would ask you to cry out to him as these blind men did. Ask him for mercy. Trust him in his sacrifice on the cross. Repent for your sin toward God. He will open your eyes and you will see what others have tried to share with you and tell you about. You'll see it for yourself. I heard an interview yesterday that startled and concerned and alarmed me. A man was speaking about many young people today and about the technology that we now have and how that that is real can be so almost fully mimicked by that that isn't real with the, the, the graphical technology that we have and the, the AI and all of these things that are coming along. And they interviewed a bunch of children and, and, and the question was they showed them something that was amazing. 
And, and then at the end, they said, of course, that's not real. And the majority attitude of the kids was, what difference does it make? So what? I don't care whether it's real or not. That's a scary place to be when you're so blind that you no longer care what's real and what isn't. That's what the enemy of our souls wants to do to us, separate us from the thought that there is reality, there is truth, and there is Christ, and he, and I pray that you would reach out to him and he would open your eyes. And I want you to understand finally that if you remain blind, it will be voluntary blindness. It'll be voluntary blindness. He is there. He is near. We pray that you'd reach out to him. Trust him today. Let's have a song if we could.